Hey everybody, I'm Brian Clapp, VP of Content and Engaged Learning at WorkInSports.com, and this is the Work in Sports Podcast. First Super Bowl Monday in a long time that I'm not hungover, so thanks to that. Uh, quick take before we get into the stat line and before we get into today's fan question. So far, I've received 42 emails, texts, and DMs asking how I feel about Brady and Gronk winning a Super Bowl as non-Patriots. Well, for those of you not in the know, I am from Boston. I'm a big Patriots fan and lover of all things Gronk. Well, let's be clear. The Gronk football, the Gronk-branded football that doubles as a Bluetooth speaker, that actually was one of the dumbest inventions I've ever seen. I am not a big fan of that, even though it has Gronk labeled on it. It doesn't make any sense to me. You're playing music in your football that you can throw around. So, I don't know, you're listening to music and then you go to throw to your buddy and then you can't hear the music anymore? That doesn't really make a lot of sense to me, why you'd want that functionality or pay for it. Don't believe me that this actually exists? Search Gronk Ball on Amazon and you'll see what I mean. It also proves that reviews are easily manipulated since it has a 4.4 out of 5. I cannot imagine anybody paying $90 for a Bluetooth speaker that is a football that you can actually throw and being happy about it. Uh, But hey, that's how it goes. And already I'm off track. So how do I feel? Uh, Thrilled, to be honest. I know this is going to come out as kind of strange, but... um, there's nuance and context needed to any sports conversation, and too often we just hear the hot takes, you know, the headline grabber kind of things. It doesn't like get people to watch or read or listen if you just say like, "Yeah, that was pretty cool," and I'm down with it. Like you have to be upset about something, or else it doesn't uh, cut through the mix. But here's we'll explain this quickly before we get into everything else. I wanted the breath pass to keep Brady for his entire career, but in a way that was selfish because no one really expected that to happen. It happens very rarely in sports. And what happened is the two parties were no longer a match for one another. And let me explain why. From 2014 to 2019, the Patriots had terrible, terrible draft classes. And because of that, They didn't have a lot of high-end talent, especially in the skill positions on offense. Uh, Their defense was still pretty good. Uh, Their offensive line was good, but they didn't have a lot of skill position depth. They didn't have any tight ends. They didn't have any wide receivers. It just wasn't a good setup for anybody to to be successful. They were not built to win, even with Brady. So those mistakes came back to haunt them. If they had nailed those draft classes and they had a good roster, I think they probably would have found a way to keep Brady. Uh, if you go back and look at the 2018 season, there's no way that team should have won the Super Bowl. They were 11-5, and but they were 3-5 and on the road that year, which is usually a sign of a flawed team that they can't win on the road. They lacked any punch. They got destroyed by the Lions and the Titans and all the other teams. They looked old. But then they dialed it up in the playoffs, and they went on a good run, and they went a Super Bowl. Um, 2019, lack of talent. They went 12-4 and because of Brady. Uh, they had an incredibly weak schedule, and they lost in the wild card to the round of the to the Titans. It was clear this roster was not good enough, and Brady couldn't do it by himself. So it didn't make any sense for the Patriots to commit to him long term and say, hey, we're going to give you two more years and all this money, because all that would have done was gloss over the massive roster problems they had. It would have extended their rebuild, and it wouldn't have gotten them to a Super Bowl. So it made sense for the Patriots to not be interested in that. On the flip side, it also made sense for Brady not to be interested in just running it out on with the Patriots team that wasn't good enough when he could still go somewhere else and take a team over the top, as he just proved. So 
if Brady stayed in New England, he would have made them a lot better than Cam Newton, but he would, probably wouldn't have been able to bring that roster to a Super Bowl championship. The Patriots didn't want that uh, because it would have delayed their need for a rebuild. And the Brady faction didn't want that because, I don't know, you don't want to ride out your end of your career just kind of trying to carry everybody along with you. So it made sense for both sides to move on. So I hold no ill will. I don't. I'm not going to f- go crazy and be mad about Brady wearing a Bucks jersey. Congrats to him, man. It's awesome. As for Gronk, the Patriots tried to trade him in 20, before the 2018 season. So to me, all bets are off after that. They tried to trade him to the Lions, which is even more cruel. So they tried to trade him. They were obviously not committed to him long term. He stayed in 2018. They won a Super Bowl. He helped them win a Super Bowl. And he was like, all right, I'm done with this. I don't need you're not committed to me. I'm not committed to you. He gets a better opportunity. Tom comes comes down to Tampa. He's like, all right, I'm feeling good. I just took a year off and I can go play for a quarterback I'm comfortable with and a system will have some fun. And he did it. And he looked like he was having fun out there. Again, I hold no ill will. I'm not upset. Matter of fact, I was cheering for him all last night. I'm not like mad at anybody. It's just like it's sports. Let's deal with it. So I hold no grudge against either. I wish it would have worked out better for my team, but I can't exactly be that selfish. So. All right. In 100 years, what's really cool, and let's keep this perspective. In 100 years, and I mean this seriously, we'll talk about Brady like we currently talk about Babe Ruth. Like there will be a mythic figure of what Tom Brady was. It's just a fact based on what he's done. He will be a mythical figure into the future for sports fans. And we're all here watching it. So just enjoy the ride a little bit and just enjoy what happens there. And don't get into too much depth over penalties or this, that, or the other thing. It's pretty cool. So congrats to the GOAT. All right, we'll get into the stat line now. Three stats to keep you updated and in the know on sports employment provided by workinsports.com, the leading job board for the sports industry. I'm also layering in pieces of advice and strategy for your job search throughout this segment. So don't you dare skip over it. Like every week when I do this, it's not just I'm going to list off some numbers. I'm going to list off some jobs. I'm trying to give insight and approaches and strategies and tactics in there woven in. If you're watching on YouTube, you just saw me do a strange thing with my hands. And that's another great mention. We're also on our YouTube, so subscribe to our YouTube channel where we're publishing all of these Monday podcasts and a lot of segments from our Wednesday interview session. So anyway, stat line. Number one, 19,971 active sports jobs on workinsports.com. Now, I promised you last week we'd eclipse 20,000. And we did earlier this week, but job title totals are a fluctuating thing. So right now we're at 19,971, which is, again, pretty flat week over week. But that includes a little over 300 active sports jobs in Florida right now. So once everybody down there is done celebrating and uh, gets rid of the hangover, they can go apply for lots of sports jobs. Number two, workinsports.com added 2,828 sports jobs over the last week, which again is pretty much flat. But number three, that means we added 404 jobs, sports jobs on average each day of last week. So that's a lot of opportunity. All right. Three jobs that stood out to me for all the right reasons. Uh, Well, to me, they stood out. Job number one. Now here's an important one. Corporate communications coordinator for Harris Blitzer Sports and Entertainment. You may be wondering who the heck is Harris Blitzer. Well, okay, I'll clear this up for you. They own the Philadelphia 76ers, the New Jersey Devils, the Prudential Center, New Meta Entertainment, which is esports, Elevate Sports Ventures, which is, I mean, we should talk about them at some point, the Delaware Blue Coats, Bingham, Binghamton Devils, and more. So that's a power, power brand in sports. Now, corporate communications coordinator. 
You should know by now. You should be trained from listening to this podcast. You hear that term coordinator, and generally speaking, you should be trained by now to realize that leans towards entry level or towards that side of a career. So I have linked to this job in the show notes of this episode, and I think you should look at it. Here's why. They list the job requirements really well, which explains what you will do as part of this job. Read them. I don't care if you're a college freshman or a 34-year-old accountant who wants to transition into sports. Read these job descriptions, and that's an opportunity, right? You read the job description. It tells you what you kind of do. It tells you what they're looking for in this role, and ask yourself, does this spark a feeling inside of you? Does this make me say, that sounds like it would be awesome? Well, if you're in college and you're getting started in your career and trying to figure out your fit, this is the best, absolute best way to figure out where you fit. Search for jobs with a coordinator in the title. Look through them. See if it sparks something inside of you, okay? Uh, As you then go down this job description... They also list nine qualifications they are looking for, specific things that they want from the person they hire. If you've gone through it and say this job sounds like fun and you have six to seven of the skills that they want and need, you should be applying. You should be going for this role. So that's a pretty simple process. It doesn't have to be hard. We're not building an algorithm here. Look at job descriptions. See if it makes you say like, wow, that sounds like it could be really cool. And then see if you have the skills that match up. Now, if you're early in your career, let's say you're in college right now and you're looking at job descriptions. So you're one of the students I've spoken to recently at Grand Canyon University or University of Arkansas or University of Florida or some of the schools we've uh, spoken in lately. If you are going through and reading the job descriptions, I tell you all to do. If you start to get that feeling like, oh, my gosh, that sounds like it would be so cool to do for a career. Well, now take those things that are qualifications and make them into your game plan. These are the things I need to learn while I'm in college. Okay, so you're focusing your skills on the direction you want to head. Super important. If you do that, you're ahead of most other people out there. Right there. Okay. So if you get those skills, you you know the skills that they're demanding, you become a master at them, you have these nine skills or more before you graduate, keep researching your jobs, figure out your fit changes, how things change over time, you're going to be in a good position. That's a big strategy. It's a simple strategy for uh, success, and you should all be doing it. Okay. Job number two. Brand, video, content, creator at Adidas. Brand, video, content, creator for golf at Adidas. Okay. I love, I am a hound for jobs at big brands. Okay. Especially on the entry level side. I'm being serious. Like a big brand like Adidas. Somebody you know, they do a lot of hiring. They have a lot of different departments. They have a lot of room for growth. And that's one of the main reasons I like it. You can grow from within forever. You get in as a brand video content creator. You're big into video creation. You love golf. You've got these skills, right? You start there and you grow and learn you get trained, you learn the best practices, you, I mean, can reach your full potential. And before you know it, you may be the CMO. Like there's just so much room for you to continue to grow inside a big brand. It's not like you get tapped out after a while. So sometimes if you're the type of personality that wants to go somewhere and be set for a while, that doesn't want to jump around all over the place, that wants to put down some roots, look for those big brands because the growth is inside there. Again, another job where they clearly, very clearly outline demands of the role. So check it out. It's again, it's linked into the show notes on our blog, work at sports.com slash blog. See if it's a match for your skill sets. 
starts now or somewhere you want to see yourself. Like I read that and the first line of requirements that they say for this job, create and develop multimedia, audio and video, content for customer stories, internal company videos, product marketing videos, external digital and social videos. And right there I'm hooked. I'm like this, I'm a content guy. And the idea of creating content for a specific sport in golf for a brand like Adidas and doing it through video channels is just like, that's exciting to me. So right then I'd be saying, all right, what is this big brands that they want from the people they hire. Oh, they want these skills. They use these tools. They want these things. All right. Now I know what I have to do to get there. So just keep setting yourself up with these plans. You got to have a plan for your future. Okay. Job number three, the marketing arm is hiring an assistant account executive in their Dallas or Chicago office. Now the marketing arm is an agency specializing in entertainment, sports, cause, event, and digital marketing. Now there's a very specific reason why I brought this job up. Not only is it cool, but, and again, I'll link to it in the show notes, but it's really because of one line in the job description, one line, they say under their qualifications, proficient in project management tools. Now, this is, again, training you how to read job descriptions. If you read job descriptions with a curiosity, like your mind is in a curious space, and I hope by now you're starting to do that. I read something like that, proficient in project management tools, and I say to myself, okay, they're clearly telling me a skill that I need, but they weren't super specific. They didn't tell me exactly what project management tools they wanted me to know. But I know I need to know project management tools, and if I'm not familiar with that, what that means, I would be heading to Google, or I'd be talking to a mentor, or I'd be talking to a professor and saying, hey, I saw this job. They said they wanted somebody proficient in project management tools. What do you think that means? You go to Google, you'll find out right away. But you can talk to people, too. Talking to people is cool. That's fun. And if you don't know what they mean, you better find out. Okay, so now the good news is most tools within a vertical are similar. So if you say project management tools, okay, there's multiple different ones, but they're all kind of similar. They're variations and features on a very similar tool set. So if you know one, you'll, you'll be able to manage your way through the rest of them. So for example, HubSpot's CRM, their customer retention management program, isn't that different from Salesforce or Microsoft Dynamics. If you know one of them, you're going to be able to figure your way out through the rest of them. There's just different variations and features in them. If you know nonlinear editing on Adobe Premiere Pro, you can pretty easily learn Avid and Final Cut Pro, just some different tools, features, keystrokes, those kind of things. So if you see a job title that interests you and it says something like, hey, we expect you to be proficient in project management tools. I do some research starting now and I do some tutorials and I start to read and I understand, I check out proof hub or I check out rally, I check out Jira or Asana or Basecamp. These are all project management tools. And if you start to get familiar in how they work, you know, you watch some videos, you do a tutorial, you get familiar learning those tools that are in demand is how you build confidence and industry strength. Now, the next time you see a job from the marketing arm or anybody else that says, hey, we're, our requirement is that we want somebody knowledgeable in project management, management tools like Jira, you can be like, all right, I know what that is. I've looked at that. I'm comfortable with how this works. I feel like I'm a little more comfortable applying for this job. Whereas before, you might have been like, I don't even know what project management tools are or what the, what's out there. It's about building yourself. And that's the knowledge you can on it often get from looking at job descriptions. I mean... It's not that hard. All right, that's the stat line. On to today's question from Mike S. in Seattle. Hey, Brian, I think you need to have someone on your show from the Seattle Kraken. 
Everyone here in the region is super excited about their addition to the NHL, and we can't get enough Kraken talk, especially as it relates to jobs within the Seattle Kraken. Please have someone from the Kraken on the Work and Sports podcast. Mike, duly noted, I will try my best to make that happen. On to my question. This is Mike again. I've been struggling some with my resume, and I'm guessing others have too. You talk a lot about having the skills that are in demand for my industry, but how do I display them? Do I just add a skill section to my resume? Does that work? Or is there some other method you suggest for displaying my talents? Thank you. I love the show. Mike, really good question. Okay. And I started to get into this a little bit with the last conversation on uh, your skill set for that marketing arm job. But let's just overarchingly go through it and then we'll get into the details. Skills are wildly important part of your resume. It's literally how you get noticed for roles. So like I just outlined, okay, the marketing arm says, here's 10 different things we want from this job that we just posted. And they go through their database of resumes and their database of applicants. And they say, whose resumes match the skill sets we need. So the point in that is, if you don't have the skills that are in demand or that they're saying that they need, you're not going to stand out in the process. So it's important to have those skills. But there, let's get into the nuance of your question a little bit, right? Because you have the skills, the ATS sees it, it stands out, the applicant tracking system, okay? It stands out. Or if you're even just a smaller organization and you don't have an ATS, but you're doing keyword searches on resumes, your skills are going to be what stands out, okay? So the nuance of your question is, well, how do I display them on my resume? There are really two ways to do it. One is by far the best. So the first one is contextually. What that means is you've woven the skill that you have into your actual job performance in some role. So you did an internship with um, somebody, whoever, doesn't matter, the Durham Bulls, uh, for all I care, uh, and you you did a social media internship with them. And you learned some tools related to, uh, you know, Facebook advertising. Okay. Now you take those tools that you used or the actual results of your campaigns and you integrate them contextually on your resume and you're specifically citing those tools that you used. That's taking your skill that you've developed, that tool that you've used, that skill that you've mastered and applying it contextually to results. You've done this, you've used it in a work setting and here were the results of my using it. That is by far the most powerful way to start to get any of your skills out there. If you used Photoshop and you can contextually relate that to a role, you used Photoshop to create social media graphics, to help with uh, PowerPoint campaigns, to do this, to do that. You know, you used it in your role in a business sense, right? Or in a role uh, coordinated sense. That is the most powerful way to be able to display a skill, right? But let's say you've used my advice where I've said, hey, sometimes you just got to watch YouTube videos and figure out how to do stuff. Right. You just got to like I learned how to do all the editing for this podcast by watching YouTube videos. Now, I've used it to do the podcast so I can relate it contextually in my job. But let's say you're just trying to enhance your skill sets. You just took some video. You did some lessons. You just learned some skills. Well, you can then put them in a skills section of your resume or a list or something of that nature. Now, this is not as powerful a way to display them on your resume. I'll explain why. the applicant tracking systems look for context. They're really smart. Like these systems are really, really smart. Smart people have made them. The algorithms are really smart. And, and we got to this point because initially the first version, the V1 of applicant tracking systems, they would 
um, look for certain keywords and give back a score to the hiring manager. So it would say, hey, this person matches on eight out of 10 things you said you wanted. Well, the people applying, the job seekers got, got onto this, they got wind of this, and they started stuffing the keywords into their resume. So they'd place these keywords in there to make them get noticed, but they didn't have any real contextual relevance. They weren't linked to a job. They weren't really connected. They were just stuffing these keywords in there so they would get noticed because they were matching them up with the job descriptions. And so the applicant tracking systems were like, huh, or the people who make the app and tracking systems, really smart people. Um, we're like, all right, how do we fix this problem? All right, we're going to look at the surrounding words wherever they've put this keyword. We're going to look for contextual relevance and understand if this is something that's woven into their actual skill set that they've done on a job. And so the applicant tracking systems got better and they weighed those people more heavily who had contextual relevance and job usage of the skill, right? Now, the point I bring up on this is that if you don't have that, if you did not actually use the skill on a job, don't ignore it. Still put it in there. Still, still put that you have that as a skill section, okay, as a bulleted list or however you want to display it. Look at formats. Figure out a way you want to display it. It's still important to have there because it will still help you. It just won't help you as much as a contextually relevant tied into a job results kind of skill that you've acquired. So, again, do it, but don't expect it like like what your goal is to figure out ways to use it on an internship, to use it as part of a job, to use it in, the, in, in various roles. Um, but I want to go one step deeper on this. Again, you learned a skill. I always use Photoshop because it's just easier. You, were, you, you looked, you saw a lot of jobs that had Photoshop on them. You taught yourself Photoshop. You watched videos. You did tutorials. You've gotten really good at it. Still include it. What I would add, two things. One, add when you're applying for jobs, add if you don't have it contextually relevant, you don't have it within a job that you've done and used Photoshop on that job, add a portfolio. If, it, if you have allow, if you are allowed in the application process to include other documents, add a portfolio of some of your examples doing Photoshop or take some screenshots and put together a presentation on how you've used or learned Salesforce or how you've you video you've created that through Final Cut Pro. If you don't have contextual, I use this on the job or even if you do, it can still be really beneficial to include examples of your work so that you can show like not only did I learn this skill, but I've used it even if it wasn't on the job. So it's just a way you can enhance your ability to present yourself now. One other thing you hear me talk about all the time that I want to get into here and I want to hammer into because this is really important in the skills and resume conversation. You all hear me talk all the time about how you have to have multiple versions of your resume and that you need to customize it each time that you're applying for jobs. And here's a perfect example of why. So I'll walk through this quickly um, because some of you have probably already heard me say this before, but you will have a base version of your resume. And think of that like uh, a football team's defense. So the Bucks, the Bucks have, and we'll talk about them since they're now Super Bowl champs, the Bucks have a base defense. Right. They work on it day in and day out. It's their three, four, cover two, back end, whatever. It's like they have a base setup that they use so much of the time. They practice it. They know it like the back of their hand. But for every individual matchup that they go into, they change certain parts to be ready for that 
event, that, that exact matchup, right? So they changed their defense for last night's game. They manipulated some pieces. They moved things around because they thought it would match up better against the Chiefs. You need to take that same attitude to your application process. You'll have a base version of your resume that really shows you off very well, but you will customize it a little bit each time when you're applying for jobs. And that customization can be small. It may be moving bullet points around. It may be adding something in a little bit, but it just it's not a complete redo. It's just an emphasis. So I want to give an example here that ties into this skill conversation. Let's say on that base version of your resume, you have something like proficient in various customer relationship management tools, CRMs, which have helped me increase my retention numbers by 85% year over year. Great bullet point. You're leveraging the tools you know and using some metrics to make it have some teeth to it. Great job, okay? But you're applying for a specific role and it has a specific requirement and it says they're looking for someone proficient in Microsoft Dynamics CRM. So they've gotten very specific in the tool they want somebody to know. And it's like, you know that thing. You know Microsoft Dynamics. So you want to go that little extra effort to take what your original bullet point was, which was proficient in various customer relationship management tools, proficient in various CRM tools, however you want to, to word it, and you want to make sure you specify it to say Microsoft Dynamics. Don't just leave your resume bullet point to stay proficient in CRM. Say specifically Microsoft Dynamics if that is what they are looking for. Now, again, I understand why you keep a generic in the base version of your resume. You want to say you have CRM knowledge, but if they get specific, you get specific along with them. Add in that extra layer of connection and skills aligning. If you leave it as it was, sure, you might get noticed, but the fact you have Microsoft Dynamics, that specific tool knowledge could be that thing that separates you from somebody else. So look for ways when you're applying for a job to take your base resume and make it as specific as possible right? Add more specificity into it and layer, move things up that are really stated in their job description. If something is your fourth bullet point and they stress it in the job description, make it your first bullet point for that job, right? Little tweaks like that can make the difference. They're not going to spend a ton of time on your resume. The faster that you can get them to understand that you are a match, the better off you will be. Okay. Remember too, one last point. This isn't necessarily related to Mike's question, but remember to use your cover letter as a tool to sell your soft skills, your relational skills, all those things that make you special as a human. So that makes you have the entire package, right? You, you're telling them I have the, the actual tangible skills of being able to do certain things, but I also am this really amazing person who's accomplished these great things and has really, you know, overcome adversity or done whatever it is that can help to, I've been a leader, I've done these things, I'm coachable, I'm curious, I, you know, all those things that you can really sell yourself for in your cover letter. If you do those things, if you study the job descriptions, if you really learn how your skills fit in, all those massive things, you're just going to be in a much better position. So I want you to go that direction. Thank you for the question, Mike. Thank you for tuning in, everybody. Thank you for watching on YouTube. If you are watching on YouTube and you should be watching on YouTube, because sometimes it's more fun to watch than it is just to listen. Uh, and who would you have this Wednesday? Oh, that's right. We have Gabby Rowe, who is a CEO of a company called Maestro. And this is one of the coolest sports connected companies that I've ever heard of. They're in the high growth sports industry. And what that means is, because it's a fancy term for fringe sports, high growth sports entities. They are a full service marketing and business planning and everything firm that goes after sports like beach soccer, uh, flag football, uh, ultimate frisbee, 
uh, cornhole. I'm trying to think of some break dancing. They work with all of the axe throwing. They work with all of those smaller fringe leagues to build them up and build their brand. And it's such an interesting conversation because Gabby is an entrepreneur, right? He's got this great entrepreneurial spirit, but he really understands this market and this, the personas involved in it and how to attract an audience and where the revenue comes from. And so we deal with how they migrated through coronavirus and how it affected them less than others because they are not doing as much in ticket sales. Their big thing is on getting some of those broadcast deals with ESPN and other partners. And they could do that. They could fill that content void. So really cool way to look at the industry a little bit different. So make sure to tune into that one on Wednesday. Please rate and review and subscribe wherever you listen. Start watching us more on YouTube. Get into our YouTube channel. Subscribe to the podcast. Share with a friend. Review it wherever you listen. And keep tuning in because we're trying to make the inf- share the information that matters for you. Thanks for listening, everybody. We'll see you on Wednesday.